New Testament lesson is Colossians chapter 2. It's actually verses 1 through 15, not 1 through 5, as it says in your bulletin. Listen to the word of God. For I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those in Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself, in whom all are hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. Though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, and I rejoice to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. As therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captives through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh and the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all of our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made public example of them, triumphing over them in it. May God bless you and the hearing and reading of this holy word. Let's pray. Lord, help us to open our eyes that we may see you, to open our hearts that we may believe you, to open our lives that we may follow you by hearing you, the word itself, come to us through your word proclaimed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I grew up in the northern end of the Bible Belt, and um, so there was all kinds of different expressions of, of Christianity and evangelicalism, and um, one of those things was door-to-door witnessing. Okay, Now, that doesn't happen a whole lot in our area, unless you may be a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon. But, uh, you know, Christians were used to, and still do, kind of street evangelism. And um, there were some people out, you know, talking to people in the streets in my hometown. And they came up to my friend Tracy. Now, Tracy was a deviant genius. Some of the best and worst things that were done to our high school uh, came from the mind of Tracy. All right, matter of fact, he was he was brilliant but tortured. Uh, the last that we it was funny. I found out I, I didn't know what happened to him. The rumor had been he was a drug runner in Florida uh, with a fruit truck. He was hiding the drugs in a fruit truck and delivering drugs. So we'd all assumed that he was dead. Okay, because we hadn't heard from him for years. Well. At, our, at my high school reunion, they did a they did a slideshow of uh, people who served in the military. He was a decorated military intelligence officer. So all that deviant stuff he did in high school, he he did as an adult in service of our country. So uh, <laughs> uh, 
my. Anyway, well, Tracy uh, was one time down the street, and uh, these two uh, people came up to him and started witnessing to him, giving Christian testimony. And they said, young man, do you know where you would go if you died? He goes, yes, sir, I do, across the street. And he pointed to a funeral home. <laughs> and the poor Christian witness, they never recovered from that. <laughs> uh, Thomas Halik is a, one of, I think, the most uh, amazing Christian thinkers of our time. He, uh, as someone who was ordained as an underground priest in Czechos- when it was Czechoslovakia under the Soviets, and uh, has a double doctorate in psychology and theology, and is a priest at, uh, at the university uh, chapel in, in Prague. And uh, the Czech Republic is 92, 93, 94% non-Christian, atheist or something. But he has literally baptized thousands of, of people. He's a wonderful, intelligent guy who really knows how to speak, I think, to the post-God age that he has lived in uh, and that we, in many ways, are living in. And in one of his uh, books, he has three books that are currently translated into English, he tells a story that there was a graffiti on the wall in, in Prague that said, Jesus is the answer. And underneath it, someone had sprayed, but what is the question? Which I think actually is a really brilliant response. Because one of the things that sometimes happens with those of us in church and those, and, and again, it's, there's, it's a good thing that we're in church. It's a good thing that we've been nurtured in the faith. But we forget <laughs> what questions people are really asking out there. And there are many reasons why churches decline. And I know you all have thought a lot about that here over the years. But I think sometimes what's our fault? There's a lot of things that is not our fault because of trends and such. But one of the things I think that often churches fail at is that they keep answering the wrong question. Or they're not aware of what questions are being asked. Last week, we mentioned that Paul, in one broad sweep, discussed how Christ had and was able to meet what amounted to the wide range of spiritual and existential needs and hungers that people had during the first century. And again, if you don't know the history, you don't realize how rich, uh, it's all right that you don't know the history, but it's so rich to realize what he's talking about. So, for instance, he says that Christ has met our needs. Christ has given us reconciliation, hope, freedom from guilt and alienation, gnosis, spiritual knowledge, wisdom, Sophia, revelation of the mystery, freedom from the flesh and its deeds, etc. Each of those phrases represents what a particular religion or ethnic uh, way or philosophy was trying to give people in the, in the first century. And Paul not only brilliantly touches on each of them, but he really believes that Jesus is the answer to all those things. Now, Christ is non-negotiable. Okay? The fact that Jesus is the answer is the foundation of Christianity. Jesus is God's revelation. That is neither a conservative or liberal issue. Okay? If we're Christians, then we believe Christ alone is the foundation. Christ speaks both a word of hope and judgment 
to every human ideology. Now, he not only speaks that to every human, okay? God gives us a word of hope in Christ and a word of judgment. Okay, part of the good news of Jesus is you have to be different, okay? Part of the good news of Jesus is what you're doing right now is not working. Matter of fact, what you, the good news of Jesus is what you're doing right now might actually be harmful. I remember a mother coming to me in Texas and saying, I don't understand why our boy is failing. I go, well, well tell me more about it. He's in, we sent him away to college. We gave him a car. We gave him a credit card. We gave him everything he needed. I go, oh. <laughs> I made sure my kids tried to stay as broke as possible. They, met, they, met, yeah, they, they were still able to find all kinds of ways to do mischief. But um, nonetheless, okay, so she was well-intentioned. She loved her son. But her solution was actually part of the problem, right? And that's true with a lot of human philosophy, a lot of what we think and believe and do, whether it be formal philosophy, formal theologies. There are a lot of Christian theologies out there that don't come from where they say they come from. I just saw another prominent Christian leader from a particular um, pretty narrow sect has now came out and said he's no longer a Christian. And I wanted to say to him, well, what you said was, it's good that what you used to say was Christianity, you're not that anymore. <laughs> because that doesn't really help people. So Christ speaks a word of hope and judgment to us individually and to every ideology. And I think many of the needs that were present in Paul's time are still present now. I, I mean, I think... In many ways, human society has changed so much, okay, and even to the point where we get rewired. I mean, that's part of what evolution and technology and nutrition and different ways of living, it literally rewires us. It rewires us uh, perhaps on a very fundamental level. It certainly rewires our brains. But even regardless of all that, human needs, I think, are still kind of basically the same. We need to feel loved. We need to feel like we belong somewhere. We need to have some sort of meaning. What is this all about? Now, the trouble with churches as institutions is that we are a product of the culture that formed us. So what worked in 1950 or what worked in 1750 doesn't always work in the time you're in. We're doing this massive cleanup at Feasterville. And, uh, and there's been a lot of delayed uh, cleanup. And part of it is every pastor who left there, I think, left the books they didn't want. And so I'm going through, and I, you know, it's really hard for me to, to, get, to throw away books. Okay. But I have no guilt about throwing away most of the books I'm throwing away from my predecessors at Feasterville. Now, some of them, you know, well, some of them were problematic, but some of them were people trying to make a solution at a particular time. I mean, I could have almost written a sociological assessment of what churches have tried over the last 50 years based on the libraries of my predecessors. All right? And some of them, not bad ideas, but some of them were so time-contained that probably by the time the book was published, it was already antiquated. I mean, that's the powerful thing about the scriptures. Scripture, if properly read and properly heard and properly taught, 
is alive in every generation. Now, there are some passages and some books that are more applicable at different times, right? But nonetheless, the book, the Bible is something fresh, but Christian approaches to it are not always so fresh. And so part of what Paul is saying here is that Christ is the foundation. Christ is the answer. And part of what's up to us is to help understand what the questions are, not only our own questions, but if we want to be a witness to Christ in the community, then what are the needs of people out there? How do we communicate Christ in a way that they can understand? Again, in our tradition, we talked about this this week, uh, our tradition believes God's the one who does the converting, okay? but we are the one who does who do the communicating. So it behooves us to try to understand, yes, Christ is our answer, hopefully, but what does it mean to communicate that to, to the community in our day and time? And part of it is around this idea of the fullness of God. Now, there's, there are technical, not so technical, but there are buzzwords in this passage that have a lot of meaning to certain things going on in the late first century and the second century. Paul is purposely saying Christ is this, not that. And he has his eye probably at two different groups. An early Gnostic group that said salvation really is about knowledge. It's kind of an Eastern idea. Um, a lot of, really, in a lot of ways, a lot of self-help stuff today is really Gnostic. What, you, what your problem is you don't, you don't think right. If you can get your mind straight, if you can learn the right stuff, then you'll be fine. Okay, that's kind of a Gnostic approach to salvation. Part of it's true, right? Okay, Bad thinking does lead to bad things, right? But if thinking properly solved everyone's problems, then education would make us a just and free and equal society. It hasn't. So that's one group he's talking to, the Gnostics. The other group he's still talking to is people who are trying to say, we need Jesus and the law. And Paul, ultimately, every time he gets a chance to, says, you don't need Jesus and anything. Jesus is alone the foundation. Do you know there was 14 pounds of plutonium? That's all there was, 14 pounds of plutonium in the, the bomb that was dropped in Nagasaki. Just, that's the power and incredible horror of what a little bit of plutonium can do. Um, if we were able to do perfect nuclear fusion, okay, one gram of matter could be turned into, into uh, I have the, if you really want it here, for those of you who are math and engineers, one gram of matter could release 10 times 10, or no, 9 times 10 to the 13th joules of energy, okay. which means that you could keep a 100-watt light bulb running for 30,000 years on one gram of matter that was perfectly, with the nuclear fusion, that you could do perfect nuclear fusion. Okay. All right. The next time someone says, do you understand Einstein? You say, yes, I do. I learned, I learned E equals MC squared at church last week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the whole point of that is that the potential of, of energy, the potential of power that's present, um, the potential in the world is, is beyond our imaginations. Now, future generations, if we don't destroy the world, will look back and look at our use of fossil fuel 
and think that we were, they'll look at us like we look at cavemen, really. All right? So, gosh, why were they doing that? Okay, when they could have done this. So, just to think about how much potential power there is in the created world, what would happen if the omnipotent God, the creator of all of this, showed up in a human body? Well, religious people thought that when God shows up, now they didn't believe that God himself was going to become a human. That's a uniquely Christian idea. But the Jews were looking for a Messiah who was going to be the power of God showing up on the earth. And guess what that Messiah was going to do? He was going to wipe out a lot of people. Okay. Matter of fact, the book of Revelation kind of has some of that memory of what you know the Messiah, that Jesus wasn't the kind of Messiah they thought was coming. But Revelation, the second coming of Jesus, some of that gets pushed forward in the second coming of Jesus. That's a whole other talk. Okay, But the idea of God shows up on earth, he's going to make people pay. That's what people thought. When, if you put God in somebody, God's gonna, there's going to be a reckoning. All right? <laughs> well, what happened when Jesus showed up? I'm watching the show on Amazon. I'm not a big TV person, but I, and I don't know if I like it yet or not. Okay, so after four episodes, you'd think I would know. But the book, the story is called Good Omens. It's based on a kind of a satire about the end of the world, and there's an angel and a demon trying to stop the Antichrist, and it's kind of funny. Uh, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, uh, uh, war is an arms salesperson, uh, pestilence. In the book is someone in the fashion industry who makes everyone think they need to be starve themselves to be skinny. Uh, uh, but death is death, you know. But they have kind of they have these four horsemen are kind of modernized, and they show the relation the demon and the angel kind of develop this relationship throughout history, and they show them at different points in history, and they're at the crucifixion, and uh, the demon comes up and says, "What's going on here?" And I said, "Why are they killing this guy?" And the demon goes, "I thought he was I thought he was a good guy," and uh, he asks the angel, "What is this Jesus guilty of?" Uh, and the angel says, he, he told us that we should be kind to one another. Now, there's more to the gospel than that, right? But there's a sense where one of the things that made people angry with Jesus is that he didn't come to unleash the vengeful power of God. He unleashed the power of love. And in releasing that power of love, he shows us the way. He shows us what is truth. He shows us what is life. He shows us love and goodness. There's a, um, Oliver Clement was a French scholar, and he has this wonderful book called The Roots of Christian Mysticism. And he says in it, God is absolute beauty because he's absolute personal existence. The beauty that can be in our lives was exemplified in Jesus, and it was the gift of Jesus. What does Jesus offer humanity? Salvation through a relationship with God. Yes, there are important doctrines around Christ, but to really be a Christian is to be baptized into a relationship with the living God. 
The beauty of God's power is in God's love. And God's love is not some sort of nebulous idea floating out there in the universe. It's, I love you. I died for you. I bring you into a family. You're to love each other. And there's so much love that I have for you and for the world that you're my vessels of love. I was thinking about our community barbecue. And and I know part of the reason you started it was to be an outreach to the community, to bring people into the church. But, but I don't think anyone's ever come to the church because of it. It's okay. It's okay that we do stuff for one thing and it doesn't work out. But I think for us to continue doing them, the most important thing is to say that we're the hands and feet of Jesus. Because I was thinking, I was, I was, I was thinking about our crowd on, on Thursday, and I was thinking, now if those group of people had nothing to do in Galilee in the year 30 A.D. or so, what would they have done? They would say, hey, I hear there's a speaker that feeds people afterwards. (laughs) Let's go hang out with him. I heard heard his his fish and bread is really good. (laughs) Not quite fish and chips, but you know what he is? In other words, this is what what Jesus did. At some levels, Jesus gave some people some place to be where they had an opportunity to bump into love. I mean, I think that's what the church is supposed to be. A place to be that you can bump into the love of God. There's a phrase in here that's not translated this way, but I translated the idea of, of what Paul wants them to have is the full wealth of conviction. That's that they may have the riches of a short understanding. I had a professor who translated that, the full wealth of conviction. What does it mean to have the full wealth of conviction? And how is that related to being rooted in Christ? Well, in one sense, if you're baptized into Christ and you really understand what you're a part of, then you believe this is humanity's best chance. This is my best chance. I just come across this amazing figure. Part, part of the reason I probably didn't know her because they don't, I mean, most of what's spoken of her is in French and Russian, which I don't speak or read either of those. But she's like become my favorite saint. Because <laughs> she was a, a saint that probably scandalized everybody most of her life. Her name was Mother Mary Skabatsova. Excuse my Russian. Um, she was a Marxist. Part of the, and uh, she almost was killed by Trotsky. Um, she fled. She was a deputy mayor. She almost got killed by the white Russian army. She ended up in Paris, lost two of her children, lost two of her daughters tragically. And that loss brought her back to her Russian Orthodox faith. She was already coming back to it. But in the incredible grief of, of, of losing first a young child and then an older child, it opened up her heart to love the world because of God. And so she became uh, kind of a Dorothy Day figure in Paris among expatriates. She would beg bread and have this house where poor people could come, uh, drug and addicts, alcoholics would come. She'd just go around and find people. She would go into the uh, asylums, and people who were there who weren't supposed to be there, she got them out. And she had this um, house in Paris. Well, when the Nazis took over 
Paris. Uh, her and the young priest that had been assigned to her house began giving birth certificates or baptismal certificates to Jews who were in hiding. She even helped smuggle some of the Jewish children that had been blind, that had been round up. She smuggled them. Well, eventually the SS got you know wind of them, and her only remaining child, her son, and the young priest were arrested. They both would eventually die in a concentration camp. But there is a record of the young priest being questioned by the Gestapo. Um, of course, Russian Orthodox priests can marry. So here's a, he's in his 30s. He's got two young children. And he's standing before an SS officer. So the SS officer says, if we let you go, are you going to stop doing this awful thing? The awful thing was protecting Jews. He says, I, he says, I can say no such thing. I'm a Christian. I must act as a Christian. And they slapped him. How dare you, the Gestapo says, talk about helping a Jew as Christian duty. And he smacked him again. He got up off the floor bleeding. And his young priest in front of the Gestapo pulls up his crucifix and says, do you know this Jew? And then they beat him senseless. Now, most of us are not going to be faced with something, <laughs> something that heinous. But this young priest, who had not only his people to worry about, but a young family to worry about, could not deny the convictions that he had that Jesus loved the world and he was not going to neglect the most vulnerable people, even though it was illegal. What he was doing was highly illegal. He was defying the government to protect people, to protect the vulnerable. You know, our faith is to be a growing thing, regardless of what stage of life you are in. And I think that's the wonderful thing about being a Christian, because regardless of what state of life you're in, the Christian life is an adventure. Um, parenting children. Dealing with disappointments, dealing with the ups and downs of works or the ups and downs of relationships or no relationships. The struggle of aging. All that stuff may mean in life, you know, may, may give us varying degrees of, of status in life, okay? For instance, I mean, one of the hardest things I've ever worked with people is people who are climbing in their career and they hit the glass ceiling, whatever that is, okay? Are people that are highly productive and get laid off anyway, okay. and their life has been their work, or people whose whole life has been their kids and they move away, or I think even more of a challenge is the ordinary challenges of just trying to live a life to its fullest in the ordinary. It's hard to be excited about Jesus when it's 100 degrees outside. We don't have to be excited, but we are rooted. In everything that we are faced with in this life, there's a potential, there's an opportunity for us to continue to grow in the rootedness of Christ. It can be as fresh and full of hope as the day you were baptized. You have as much spiritual potential now than the day you were baptized as an infant, as you were baptized as an infant. I was baptized when I was 15. My whole life was in front of me. 
But the promise and the richness of life in Christ, for me, is as full now as it was when I was 15. The same is true for all of us. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, this is what the kids are coloring now, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Are you allowing the unleashed power of the fullness of God to change you, right? (laughs) Remember that gram of matter? We've got the fullness of God is part of you, all right? The fullness of God was in Christ. You're baptized into Christ, so you are a part of that. A Christian who does not allow the full wealth of conviction that we are buried and crucified with Christ to have its way within them is in some ways more dangerous and more problematic and certainly more sad than someone who claims no faith. Both types of persons will crucify themselves and others. But the unrealized Christian will be tempted to believe they are doing God's work as they nail others to the cross or attempt to suffer for their own sins and guilt. (laughs) Right, okay. To believe in Christ, but not to be rooted in Christ, gives us a lot of potential to use Christ as a weapon. I remember someone coming to me who was a very devout Christian who was full of guilt and shame. And, you know, I've been meeting with, this wasn't my first session, so I've been meeting with him for a while. And I finally said to him, boy, it's a shame that Jesus didn't, that cross thing didn't work. It's a shame that Jesus was a bust. And they looked at me, you know, like I was blaspheming. And I said, well, how can you say something? I go, well... You. If Jesus died for your sins, why do you keep trying to die for them? If Jesus took away your guilt, why do you keep picking it back up? My sons used to, if if one of them would say something or do something that they felt was, you know, beneath what they should do, they would always say to each other, don't be that guy. Okay. Like if they'd be complaining about a teammate, don't be that guy. Well, let's not be that Christian. <laughs> okay. Let's be a Christian who's rooted in Christ and, and benefits from that grace and becomes a fountain of grace and love for those around us. Just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives rooted and built up in him, abounding in thanksgiving. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Let's stand together and proclaim what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty.